All right, Hebrews 4, let me read down through verse 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, you shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience so far the reading of the word. I want to talk about my title and theme is, is simple. It comes right out of the passage. It's enter the rest, enter the rest. Many of you like me probably have a setting on your phone where Um, you have it set to where you want to get so many hours of sleep every night. So the alarm will go off and tell you, in my case, it's 1030 is when I'm supposed to go to bed so I can get seven hours of sleep to wake up at six o'clock. So at 10 o'clock, the alarm will go off and let me know I got 30 minutes to prepare myself uh, to get to bed. On Monday morning, since uh, it's an off day and Saturday, I may set it for a little longer. It adjusts itself. If I got an early morning meeting, it will adjust itself so that I go to bed earlier based on the fact I need to get up in time to do devotion and get myself dressed to get to my, to my meeting. And then every morning, this alarm, which is really a horrific alarm, honestly, uh, the first night that Virginia uh, stayed with me, which of course was our wedding night, I forgot to readjust that alarm. And so early that morning, that thing went off and I thought I was going to have to put her in trauma counseling the first week uh, of, our, of our marriage. Now, just out of the fun of it, I, I still haven't changed it. And I just like the joy of when that thing goes off and just makes her so upset. She covers her head. When I go to kiss her, she says, no, you're torturing me, right? Because of, of, that, of that alarm. But the, the idea of that is not to talk about the alarm, it's to talk about rest. And as you know, as well as I do, our bodies need rest. We need rest for our minds. We need rest for our hearts. Uh, We need rest physically. You need rest because of the things you have to do. You need rest from all of the things that you're facing during the day. People around you need you. Uh, to rest. Unfortunately, in our culture, we don't rest as much as we should, and and, and it, it'll affect you over a period of time uh, because it's that important. Now, here's the thing: even though the medical community can tell you a lot about rest, and uh, your body will tell you a lot of the benefit of rest, and you know, I could go on into all of the different elements and factors and proof of how important rest is. It wasn't the medical community that came up with the idea of rest. Rest was a God idea. 
Rest was a God idea. The scripture talks about something that we call the Sabbath rest. I don't have, uh, won't take the time, not in this kind of setting, to talk about all of the things of the Sabbath. I can tell you it's probably one of the most distorted teachings that there is in the Bible. Even when oftentimes when people talk about the benefit of the Sabbath, oftentimes they talk about, you know, you'll hear people say, well, you need to rest. God rested as if God really needed to rest. You understand that God really didn't need to rest. He didn't rest because he's trying to let us know, hey, I rested, you rested. No, there's a whole nother element of that, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But there's been people who've built, uh, there's denominations built, there's biblical teachings built on uh, the Sabbath. And it is true. From the beginning, when the Lord created, he'd done six days of creation and he rested the seventh day. And what people have done in in, in taking some of the Old Testament teaching, some actually even the the religious leaders of the Jews uh, in the early times, uh, in the early times of the Hebrews, they took the principle of the Sabbath and added a whole lot of restrictions to it, a whole lot of legalism to it, and a whole lot of things that did not have the meaning that God intended. That's carried on to now there's groups and churches that, and uh, denominations, etc., that says that you can't do anything if you, you'll violate the Sabbath if you do any kind of work at all, which I would assume also goes into making your bed, anything that gives any kind of physical energy. They also go on to say that the Sabbath day, which we know is the last day of the week, which is Saturday, they also teach that the only, well, the time for sure that you should do public worship is on the Sabbath day or on Saturday. A couple of problems with that, and again, won't go into to all of that, but this is, this is what I want you to know. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ in you, if the Spirit of God is in you, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit further, then every day for you is a rest from your labors. Because the rest that the Lord is talking about uh, on the Sabbath is not a rest from me taking out the trash or making up my bed or, or, or building a house or any other physical activity. That's not the rest he's talking about. The rest he's talking about is a rest in which we, we don't wrestle against God and we allow ourselves the time to minister before him, to serve him, to worship him, to let the Spirit of God speak to us in times of meditation, in times of worship, in times when we connect with our God. It's more about relationship. It's more about walking in step with the Spirit than it is about anything else. It's allowing ourselves to trust in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to no longer wrestle against our sins, wrestle against unforgiveness, wrestle against the turmoil and the challenges that we face in our life. It's to bring our soul and our spirit, to bring our soul and spirit rest, to come to a place of rest. Now with that, I will say this, It is wonderful, and I believe it's biblical, for you to have a day where you come publicly in worship. Since the New Testament, that's been moved to Sunday, the first day of the week, because of the resurrection. But it's not because of a legalistic thing, and if you don't do it, you fail, you go to to hell, you're going to miss it. I do absolutely believe this. Worshiping together is biblical, and doing it publicly, and doing it in a gathering is biblical, but it's not because of the Sabbath. Rest is because 
because we're a community of people of God that come together to worship him. Am I talking to the right church? And so what's happened here in, in, in uh, over a period of time, and it's particularly so noted in this passage, is that the Lord is, is picking up with, or actually shouldn't say the Lord, the writer is picking up with what he referred to in our last message. You might recall those last three verses from the message last week, verses 18 and 19. You might remember this. It says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Here is what is taking place, and this is what the writer is talking about. From the beginning, when the Lord came to the nation of Israel, when they're in Egypt, he wanted them to see that a life in him meant a life of rest. It meant a life of peace. It meant a life of the goodness of him because of relationship. For the Lord to do that, he sent the man Moses to lead them out of Egypt after 400 years of bondage. He led them out of Egypt from a place that was recognized as a place of sin and a place of bondage in a foreign land, foreign country, a place where they could not worship God in the manner that God wanted them to worship led them through the Red Sea. They saw the miraculous things that God has done in the process of them leaving Egypt. I won't rehearse that. I did last week, all the different uh, things that happened to the Egyptians so that they would get it, that God is leading the people out so that Pharaoh would eventually give in. They were led through the Red Sea. They saw the miracle of walking through the Red Sea. They get on the other side of the Red Sea and still see miracles that God is doing. But somewhere down the line, they started doubting when God did not do things in the manner that they wanted. And they started doubting when they weren't sure if where they were going was better than where they were. They weren't convinced that where Moses was leading them, according to what God was directing, if that was going to be the best place for them. And because of that doubt that had creeped into their heart, it eventually led to, them, to, the, to unbelief where they started to question God, doubt God, question leadership, etc., and that unbelief led to disobedience. It was because of that unbelief and disobedience, instead of them continuing to worship the almighty God, somewhere down the line, while Moses was up getting some of the laws of God and the Ten Commandments, they decided that they needed to make another God to lead them to a better place and up jumped the golden calf because of the unbelief that had came into their heart. They began to doubt whether God was the one they wanted to lead them and whether God was really leading them to a better place. And the whole time God's message to them was, I'm leading you to a place where you can enjoy life with me, worship with me, live according to the word that you know from me and enjoy a life of rest. Because of that disobedience, many of them did not make it to that promised land. Here's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. It says this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. I, what I want you to understand that he's saying, he's rehearsing the elements of things that God proved that he was with them and they all experienced it. They all were covered by the cloud. They were all led by the pillar of fire. They experienced that. They all walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. So they were identified as people following the one that God had appointed who was leading them to this place of promise. They all accepted that 
baptism. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. So the Lord was feeding them. The Lord was giving them water. They were all experiencing that yet God was not pleased with most of them for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness because of their unbelief because of their doubt, even though they had experienced all of those marvelous things, they still were allowing unbelief in their heart. And here's the first thing I want to tell you that the writer wants to tell us, that even though the original people of God, the the chosen people of God, the Hebrew people, even though God planned to lead them and show them the way to this rest, which would be a great example for us on how we're to live life, even though many of them failed, the rest for us is still there. What God had planned from the foundation of the world through showing the seventh day, and I'll talk about that in a moment, that is still available for us. A rest in this life and a rest for one eternal. Now, and I'll break that down a little bit further. He still offers that. And, and you may say, you may say, well, I get that. I understand that. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I get it. But the, but the writer used some words here, and I talked about this uh, earlier message that he uses some let us and some uh, through 13 let us is throughout the scriptures. And here's one here. It says, therefore, I read verse one again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, even though that promise is still for all of us, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Here's the warning. In other words, the writer is saying, listen, they experienced all of the things that God showed them with the promise in front of them that all they had to do was obey. All they had to do was stay in step with God. All they had to do was keep tracking in the way God was leading them and he would have showed them this land of promise, a place where he dwelt and a place that they can be in relationship. But even then with all they saw, they still doubted and fell into unbelief. He's saying, listen, every one of us need to get this message. We should also have a concern we should also beware that some of us, so that we don't, sorry, so that we don't fail to reach it. If the good news of the gospel has come to, come to you and you've heard the message, then you have to let the message of the gospel bring you benefit. In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ is, is shed so that everybody's sins can be cleansed. But if you never take the advantage and the benefit of the blood of Jesus, then you still lost in your sins. Does that make sense to everybody? There's a benefit to believing. There's a benefit to receiving. There's a benefit to trusting. What the writer is trying to say, it's not just enough to hear the message of hope and good news and rest and eternity. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to be able to quote it. You have to believe it and accept it and allow it to become a part of your life. Am I talking to the right church? And he says the reason that this can happen is because that message was not united with faith. There can be a dangerous attitude of believers and those of us in church where we hit a place of complacency, where we, where we believe that our confession of faith stands alone, that just saying the prayer or just responding says it alone. And we can, we can end up with some kind of false security and not an absolute belief in God. And that's why there's this, this warning that we have. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fail. 
He's still playing on what he talked about in chapter three on being focused, giving your attention to the Lord. And, and I think it's important, if you don't mind me going off, on, uh, going off for just a moment, if I can be honest with you, I, I, I do believe that there has been um, over the years, maybe in some of us that grew up in more fundamental churches or hard-nosed Pentecostal churches, sometimes people would preach the fear of God to the point where honestly, it would scare the hell out of us for the moment, for the moment. I mean, you, you, you figure everything that that guy just said or that woman just said, there ain't no way in heck you can make it to heaven. I mean, you're just terrified. I, I grew up, uh, my grandfather loved him, a great man of God, but I'm telling you be, because they believe so strongly that, you know, the scripture that says that um, uh, the Lord, the clouds will open and the Lord will descend from heaven. My grandfather had me believe and every day it was cloudy. If I sinned, that was the day Jesus was coming. I mean, I, I, I like that it didn't rain a lot in Yuma because every time I looked up and saw a cloud, I thought, oh my, oh God, help me. I just want to do right. Don't, I don't want to say anything. Turn that music off. Shut up. Don't talk to me. Don't tell me a dirty joke. I mean, I was terrified that at any moment now, while those clouds is up there, the Lord going to come like a peekaboo, like, pooh, Tyrone, I got you. I got you. Your granddad told you. Here I come. I mean, I was just terrified. At the same time, I think we've come to a place where we get so complacent and so familiar with God that he's not even the Holy Father, he's just daddy. He's not the one that we give reverence to. He's the one that we talk about and bring along and every now and then when there's an opportunity to sprinkle him into the message, we'll do so. I think we get to the point to where we honestly, we're so sure of, of what God has done in our life. And believe me, I am absolutely a teacher and believer of eternal security. At the same time, I know this. You're only eternally secure when you're absolutely surely believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for all eternity. I do believe Jesus said it is finished, but do I believe what he finished and I'm living according to what he finished? Am I talking to the right church? We can get so sure, well, well, you know, why do you want to talk about a God of fear, that a God that we should fear and a God that's wrathful and a God that will judge us? Isn't God a God of love? Of course he's a God of love, but he's also a God that brings us into spiritual accountability. He's also a God that, that has spiritual authority over our life. He's also a God that the scripture says in Hebrews 10, we should be afraid to fall in the hands of a living God. It's the same God. It's the same God that requires us to live holy. It's the same God that requires us to live righteous. It's the same God that requires us to be serious about the faith that we say that we have. To live according to the witness of what Jesus has brought in our life. And not to be so loose and so frivolous with our lifestyle as if we have no spiritual accountability at all. We're required to live in accordance with the word of the Lord. Holiness has not changed. That is not out of the Bible. Holiness is still holiness. God still wants us, and listen, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I may not never get back to the rest of the message, but hold on, hold on, buckle up, because I'm taking you somewhere. 
We're not talking about sinner's perfection. We're all sinners saved by grace. But do we get so comfortable being sinners saved by grace that we keep on sinning? That we keep on living a life that's raggedy? And when folks look on the things you do and the things you say, and then you say, well, I go to church for the city. And they say, the hell if I will. Am I talking to the right church? We are accountable for our life. And hear me, we need to fear God. We need to fear God. The scripture says this, and I think I might have already uh, quoted it. The, the, no, and I didn't quote it yet. The very thing that happened with Pharaoh, because he didn't fear God. Remember Moses went to him on several occasions and said, listen, the Lord said, these are my people. You need to let them go. And basically he said, I'm not going to let these folks go. They're, they're my people. No, they belong to God. So Moses done all the different plagues, one plague after another. And then it was a time for the hail, which I'm not really sure which number the hail was, which plague it was. But Moses went to him and Moses said, this is verse 29, as soon as I, of, of chapter nine of Exodus, as soon as I leave the city, I will lift my hands and pray to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail will stop and you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out of the city. When he lifted his hands to the Lord, the thunder and the hail stopped. They was, they was experiencing it throughout the whole kingdom. And the downpour ceased. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again. And Pharaoh again became stubborn because his heart was hard. Listen to what the message is that Moses has given us. If you don't fear God, you may make a change. In this case, Pharaoh went to Moses and says, okay, 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 that's enough. I don't want to, I don't want to not do what, God wants, what your God wants us to do. Just stop the hail and stop the rain. Moses goes in and says, I'll do that, but I know you still don't fear God, but I'll do it. And soon as he stopped that from happening, which many of us do, we'll ask God to help us out of certain situations or Lord, I'll stop doing this as soon as, or please stop this judgment on my life. Just, just stop this Lord and I'll, I'll obey you. But Moses said this, I know you still don't fear God. And because you don't fear God, you'll sin again. And because you sin again, as Pharaoh did, then you'll become disobedient. And then your heart will become hardened. I'm going to say it again. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got that part. I got that part. So let me, let me tell you now what the writer wants us to know. That, that, that this promise for us is still there. It's still available for every one of us. And, and he uses Joshua, and without going into Jesus being greater than Joshua, but just so you know, the translation of Joshua in the Hebrew is the same translation of Jesus. Both means Yahweh saves. Joshua was a type of Christ. But the Lord wants us to know, New Testament believers, us Christians now, that if Joshua was the end of the story, if Joshua was the end of the story, then there would be no reason for any of us to have hope. But he said, that's not the end of the story. The rest that God has promised in his people, including us, does not end with Joshua. Joshua done what he could. He took those who believed into the promised land and he told them, Joshua told them that there would be a rest for them if they believed God. But here's what the verse says in, in, in Hebrews 4, 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, 
God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. The true believer comes into rest, comes into a place of peace, comes into a place of hope, comes into a place of joy, comes into a place where we're no longer wrestling with ourselves and wrestling against all the the, the cultural conflict. We no longer wrestle against all of that. There is a place in this life, in this world, where you can have day after day after day where you just live in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. You can live in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit day after day. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. You can live day after day where you receive the grace and mercy of God and the goodness of God. There is the promise in Jesus alone that life, this life on earth can be a good one. Now listen, I'm the first one to tell you, I am very anxious and excited about Jesus coming. I'm looking forward to day where I can be with the Lord forever and ever. But at the same time, it's not because I don't have a good life here. Because the same Jesus that I'm going to live with for all eternity is the same Jesus that day after day after day, he says, son, I'm with you. Son, I love you. Son, I'm guiding you. I know this is a tough spot, but just trust me. I know your mind might be a little frazzled, but let me give you some peace. I know that might have upset you, but just lean on me. I can give you joy. Am I talking to the right church? Y'all, y'all doing all right? That, that rest comes in Jesus. He's the one that died on the cross for all of our sins. We no longer have to wrestle for forgiveness. We no longer have to fight against ourselves and our conscience and, and guilt and shame. That stuff is over in Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ, Christ Jesus. There is no guilt and shame that we got to carry. I don't care what your life was like. That mess is over. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all of your sins. You got a clear conscience. You've been washed by the blood. You have been forgiven. It don't matter if other folks don't forgive you and stop working for other folks to forgive you if you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. They got their own issues. They got to deal with with God, but we walk in a peace and a joy of knowing that we have been forgiven in him and walk in step with the spirit. Here is what Jesus said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Christ offered. F.B. Meyer said it like this. To all of us, Christ offers rest, not only in the other life only, but in this one. Rest from the weight of sin, from the care and worry, from the load of daily anxiety and foreboding, the rest that arise from handling all worries over to Christ and receiving from Christ all we need. Have you got that rest? That's the rest that Jesus is calling us to. We live in a world in a life where it's just frenetic or frantic activity, where we project-oriented and problem-prone existence, always dealing with problems, fast-paced and Oftentimes it pushes away the call of God 
to bring us to that place of rest. We can have endless to-do, to-do lists and, and sacrifice the important for the urgent and the personal for the professional and the private for the, for the public stuff. And then there's sickness and then there's fatigue and then there's relational challenge and there's financial instability and lacking basic needs. And I just hear Jesus saying to the church, rest, rest, rest. And that only comes in Jesus. So let me give you a few things to, that I want you to do and then we'll, we'll move into a little time of worship. The scripture says this and it's verse number 11. Here's the first thing. Give every effort to obtain that promise. And I'll I'm going to tell you what that means, but listen to what verse 11 says. So let us do our best to enter the rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Let us do our best. Now, he's not telling us to work for our salvation. Christ has already done that on the cross. But there's a response to what Jesus has done that every one of us, I never uh, put down folks, Christians, when, when I see them struggling with things and I hear them say, Pastor, I'm trying, I'm trying. That's what the Lord is telling us to do, to continue to allow ourselves to be given over and over to the Spirit of God to be better. Can I just tell you something, church? You ought to be a better Christian this year than you were last year. Whatever that may mean to you. You ought to be better this month than you were last month. You ought to be better this week than you were last week. You ought to be better tomorrow than you were yesterday. And after this message, all y'all be saved. You ought to be better. Because why? We're working out our salvation. Here's, Here's the verse. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Watch this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God, hear this, with deep reverence and fear. Deep reverence and fear. Work hard. Work hard. Strive to be the person that God has called you to be. Make it part of it. It's part of your life to be more of what Christ has called you to be. Here's the second thing. Have a faith that obeys. A faith that obeys. I don't want to go into it much, but James was very clear about it. We've done a whole series on James. But James said, if you have faith, show me your works. There's got to be some evidence. There's got to be some proof. Have faith that obeys. The reason that they failed in the wilderness is because their faith did not connect with the message. The message that Moses gave, the message that Joshua gave is that the Lord is leading us to a rest. But they didn't have the faith to connect with the message. Our faith to believe what God is saying. Our faith to believe what God is doing. Our faith to trust him in every area of our life. The faith that obeys. And, and, and what happens to us sometimes is we get caught up in the, the Matthew 7 situation. Listen, it's not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Jesus is clearly warning that it's possible to, to, to not only to claim to follow him, but also to serve him in some capacities that may seem remarkable, prophesying and casting out demons and performing miracles, and yet be excluded from the rest, yet be excluded. He's, he's not talking about pagans here. He, he's, he's talking about people who spent their lives saying who they are 
and yet spending time partying and disregarding God and all of those things. That's not what Jesus has called us to. And yet they expected to get in. When they got there, Jesus has given a clear illustration. No, 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 you, you, you haven't. All of that stuff you did, that's, that's all good. I'm sure somebody got something out the prophetic word and somebody done great and you lead them to Jesus. But what about you? What about you? What about your life? And so the scriptures is clear to us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of the Lord. All right, I, I've got you some deep water now, but let me just bring you on back up because here's, here's the issue. I, I want you to enter that rest. I'm talking now to believers and unbelievers. I'm talking now to churched and unchurched. I want you to enter that rest. Listen, listen to this word out of Jeremiah 6, 16 and hope that this does not. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. I want you to picture this. If, you, if you'll just go with me for a moment that you're coming to the road. We can just picture right here on County 13 and we're coming to 3E. You're right there at the crossroads. Look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. In other words, every day in life, you're coming to a place where there's a crossroads. You make decisions by the minute. Every day of your life, every moment of your life, you're coming to places where you got options. You got choices. You got decisions you can make. Listen to what the word of the Lord is saying. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to go the old path? Do you want to go the path, sorry, that will lead to debauchery and sin and less than what God is go- wants to do in your life? Do you want to go the route that has just constantly brought you turmoil and lack of peace and instability? And do you want to go the way that you think is best, like the children of Israel? Do you want to go after another idol and after another manner of thinking and after the cool way or the acceptable way or the way that seems to give you the best public image? Bunk that mess. You need to look for the way that is the godly way, the way that's the right way, the way that will find rest for your souls. But here's the answer. But you reply, nope, that's not the road we want. That's not the road we want. And I don't know why, I don't know why not. I don't know why not. Because I'm telling you, not only the life that God has for you here, but the rest that he has for you is so much better than anything that we can experience here. Team, you can come. I want you to hear this. Listen to this in Revelation 14. It says this. This is John saying, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Watch this. He's talking about people who's already died, who John has already seen. But notice what he says about them. And he says about this for all of us. Every one of us that now die in the Lord. Blessed are the dead and die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, watch this, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. From now on, there's nothing but rest. Can I just tell you the secret of the Sabbath, even when the Lord did it in Genesis? If you go back and read that, do you know that every one of the first six days has an evening and a day? an evening and a day. All six days have a beginning and an ending. 
Do you know the only one that doesn't have a beginning and the ending? That uh, doesn't have an ending? Is the seventh day. You won't see where he says that the seventh day had a day and an evening. You know why? Because this is what the Lord was telling us. There's going to be a time on this earth where we work and we labor and we do the things that we do here on earth. But there's going to be a seventh day. There's going to be a last day. There's going to be day of rest that never ends. It's a day that is always eternally resting. Now, if I can just catch you up, because some of y'all I left way back there with your backpack in Egypt. Let me pick you up. The reason he took them to the promised land to talk about the rest, it wasn't just the rest on earth that he wants to illustrate. What he wants to illustrate is, if you trust me here on earth, I got a rest for you that will never, ever end. There is a Sabbath rest for all of us if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know why you don't want to go. Here's my last verse, Revelation 21.4. Listen to this. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For all former things have had passed away. Why wouldn't you want to go? Do you want to keep crying? Do you want to stay in pain? Do you want to stay in agony? Do you want to go through all the turmoils of this life? Then stick with it, folks. That's not the route I'm going. The route I'm going is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ where I will have no more tears, no more pain, no more agony, no more sorrow, no more heartache, no more pills, no more doctors, no more police, no more fires, no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more tsunamis, no more of none of that stuff. It's just me, you, and the presence of the Almighty God. That's the rest that God is calling us to. That's the rest. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, you can come. As you come, I'll pray. Father, you're, you're just amazing. And, and I just love what you have done for us as a people and what you're calling us to. And Lord, I thank you that you called us out of a place of turmoil and burdens and heavy laden and called us to a place of rest, rest for our spirit and rest for our souls. And Lord, you're still calling. You're still calling. My prayers for everyone here that knows you as Lord and Savior, that they respond to that call, that they respond to that call. And Lord, that they go to the crossroads of their life and they see the ways that you're, that's before them and they take the godly way. They take the good path. They take the way, Lord God, that's right. The way that stays them in peace, keeps them in joy, keeps them hope that they stay on the right path. And Lord, if there's some here today, Lord, that they're just viewing, they're just looking, they're just wanting to find out what is right. I pray, Holy Spirit, you've spoken to them. And you've convinced them that you have a rest for them. Some here, Lord God, might be in turmoil through their marriage. Or some here, Lord God, might be in great worry and great anxiety. Some might be here because of relationship issues. For many of us, Thanksgiving might have been good. For them, Thanksgiving might not have been so good. Life challenges and issues and relational problems. Turmoil, sinfulness, abuse, whatever the case may be. But Jesus, you're calling them. You're calling them. And I pray today they hear your voice and come and surrender their life to you. I ask this 
in Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a minute, I just want to make one appeal and then we'll, we'll move on. If, if you're here today and you do want this rest, you haven't come to the, you had until today come to the conclusion, yes, I want this rest. I want the rest in this life. I want the rest in the life to come. I know I need Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'll look at you. I'll see you. I'll make contact. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless your whole family there. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, my Lord, God bless. I saw that hand in the very bag. God bless you. Father, you know these ones that lifted their hands. You know those ones that made that acknowledgement. Be with them. Be with them be with them. Lord, we trust that you'll come in their life. We trust, Lord God, that you will will speak to them and guide them and lead them as you have so promised. And Lord, may they glorify you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. May the people of God say amen. Listen, we're going to go into a song of worship. Praise team is going to lead us in a song. Jesus is calling, come to the altar. The altars are open. If you want prayer for anything, if you gave your life to Christ, I'm going to encourage you. Come let somebody know. If you're with somebody, and you want to come to the altar and you're a little, you're a little nervous, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I want to go down to the altar. I want to pray. Will you come with me? Or, or maybe if you're sensing that somebody next to you probably should, should receive prayer, turn to them and say, hey, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Let's just, let's just go down and pray. Some of you as a family, some of you that lifted your hand as a family, come on down as a family. We'll minister to you. We'll love you. We'll pray for you if you need healing, if you need to be baptized, if you want to engage with Christ, whatever it is, the altars is open. Come on down. Come on, Morales family. We'll pray for you. Whatever the need is, altars open. Jesus is calling. If you gave your life to Christ, hit the connect table on the way out. First time visitor, hit the connect table. Whatever you need, uh, there's somebody out there that will see you. God bless you. Have a great week. Altars are open.